intro should just be me right now saying, wow, I can't believe it's finally recording because Rob took a lifetime to send me the recording link. Yeah, there you okay. go, ladies and gentlemen. I did. There is your intro. Welcome. <laughs> oh, anyway. Sorry, I don't have like a thousand dollar microphone set up that took me forever and then couldn't find the email. Just completely unprepared. It's I fine. also couldn't find the USB port for this to go into. So uh, please, please cut this out. Okay, Sorry, well, Rob, continue. After you, it's your your show. You'll start, not me. <laughs> well, it's my, I always say it's it's not really my show now. It's more for like the community. It's everybody. Like this episode is your episode. This microphone is everyone's microphone. I've had you co-host. I've had plenty of people co-host. So I don't really consider it my show. Okay. Keep this in the podcast, but you've blown my mind with this, with that concept. Well, that's Mike grabs. Yeah. And Mike grabs at shows live podcasts. Exactly. Well, like I said, when you co-hosted with me, I said this this microphone gets passed around like a mic at a hardcore show. I mean, it's for everybody, right? So interesting. But sorry, continue. Start your show. I didn't mean to... <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, trans and non-binary punks of all ages and denominations. Welcome back to another episode of Not Just a Phase. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for being here on this crazy planet we call Earth. We're online at notjustaphase.net, and we're on Instagram at notjustaphase worldwide. We got a link tree there with all of our streaming services, and a Patreon if you want to support the expansion of the show. We got a great episode for you today. I get to be discussing my favorite source of music press with the person responsible for its creation. Georgia Rawson is on the show today to discuss Discovered Magazine. Georgia is the founder of this magazine. As they have said themselves many times, though, Discovered is so much more than just a magazine. Discovered covers a variety of topics. Their main focus is music, but surrounding those bands and the music scenes, Discovered also writes about everything from fashion to skateboarding, the subcultures and politics about all of that. And this brand, as I said, again, goes way beyond the magazine. As they've said themselves, the brand goes way beyond the magazine. They organize and promote shows. They sell vinyl and various other merchandise for bands as well. The Discovered brand is expanding rapidly and continues daily to gain traction amongst a dedicated fan base throughout the undergrounds of various subcultures surrounding punk and hardcore music. Just fresh off celebrating their 10th year anniversary as a proudly independent brand, I'm quite happy to have Georgia on the show today to chat about the growing empire of Discovered. We're going to have some laughs, and we're going to play some tunes, and I'm just going to get right into it. Georgia, thanks so much for coming on the show today. How are you feeling? Good. It's uh, It's been a wild one. It's been a heat wave in the UK, so normally me and jet lag, I'm like, who's she? But given that there's been a heat wave, I'm pretty sure my body still thinks physically and mentally it's that sound in fury. So yeah, that's that's how I'm doing. <laughs> You're not um, knackered, as, the, as the, my new favorite term is? Well, no, yeah, I'm in that weird euphoria where I can't tell if I'm tired or riding a high. So ask me in a week. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. So you've co-hosted with me before, um, sometime last season when we spoke with Grady from Anxious. So you should know the drill. I usually like to kick off these episodes with a quick song at the beginning. And I got you three picks today. So if you want to tell me what the first song is and why you chose it. So uh, a band that like everyone's been cra- going crazy for in Europe, um, it's cool. I-, I reached out and started working with them a year ago, um, and now they're touring over here with my best friend's band over here with Comeback Kid. That band is Spaced, and they dropped 
their acclaimed debut record, which is a mixture of both their previous EPs titled Space Jams. And there's an absolute rager on there called Not Like You. And honestly, Lexi, you know, I've seen a lot of vocalists in, in, in these, you know, since being in music in 2009 and going to shows prior from like the early 2000s. Lexi's sort of power that she has as both a vocalist and as a front woman and whether it's on the stage or, you know, especially after seeing them live for the first time and then hearing this track, it really is just ballsy is the way that I can describe it. It's really just like a fuck yeah anthem for a a multitude of reasons. You know, it reminds me of everything that I love about hardcore. It reminds me about um, everything that I love about you know, women finally having a place in hardcore. I mean, not not to say it hasn't for the years, but like finally, you know, women to the front is really becoming a real thing now. And yeah, like there was a moment, um, they opened our 10th anniversary show after a band called Clobber and another band. And what was great about them is Lexi, you know, like there's a room and it's a couple of, couple. Of, you had a couple of traditional sort of older guys stood there crossing their arms. She just like kicked out the jams, like literally like that whole band went into it. She was just like, Hearing a woman in 2022 telling a group of white dudes in a room, movie pussies, has got to be up my highlights. <laughs> but I mean, other than that, this entire band, I think they're going to be the biggest band in hardcore. Like, mark my words, like where Scowl and Dare and everyone was like two years ago, I, I think Space is going to be there next year. So this is Spaced, and this is uh, Not Like You from their debut record, Space Jams. So welcome to the show again. Can I get you to just say like what you consider your role for Discovered Magazine? Uh, I always get really, I always feel like that uh, that deer out of Bambi 
like that 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 but that, that, right let me start again i always feel like that <laughs> rabbit out of bambi when it gets really bashful when i get asked what i do at discovered because when i think of Discovered, i see it so collectively as like me and my team and the people around me that when people ask what you do we all multitask across multiple things that basically i guess the way that i would describe it and in business terms it would make me the project manager keeping everyone shit together but my day-to-day role uh editor-in-chief um, by the way, if you run an online website and you call it a magazine, you cannot call yourself an editor in chief. In chief means print. Just want to put that one out there. <laughs> Just want to lay down the law on that one. Oh, okay. But yeah, uh, I'm already messing. But like, yeah, I'm the editor in chief. Uh, I basically decide what goes in the magazine. I also handle all the sales of advertisement, the distro, the logistics. Like, you know, even prior to this, I was in a call with uh, our distribution company in the US. So, like, yeah, I guess the founder and the record vinyl buyer in and the record vinyl person. I, I do everything. <laughs> the uh, the end all and be all of discovered and and not to discredit my team. You know, I'm just of I'm one one of many that make sure that this runs day to day. So head of keeping everyone shit together, I believe, was your official title. Yeah, let's call it that. The <laughs> uh, keeping together of shit. <laughs> <laughs> So now that we know what you do, I usually like to kick it off with a quick origin story. I assume you recall how you were first introduced to punk rock and underground music. So do you want do you want like the the really fun version of this or do you want like the really factual one? Oh, God, no. The fun version, please. OK, fun version. Uh, I'm a twin, identical twin. So oh, no way. my mum to. Yeah. So I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. In, in sort of like the, the, the 90s and the late 90s, um, they encourage you to have cesarean. So right. normally what they have in the UK when you're in the operating theatres and you're having a cesarean birth, you can choose the music that's being played. So what? my mom and dad both being punk rockers, yeah, I came into this world to Red Hot Chili Peppers under the bridge. So that was my first official introduction. And then, yeah, dude, like, I, right I, mean, I grew birth. up in a house. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go on, what was that? No, I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry, right at birth. That's that's something you don't hear too often for sure. Yeah, d- Okay, it's even weirder when you're watching Red Hot Chili Peppers as well, and you're like, okay, I physically came into the world hearing this. But no, I mean, so like, honestly, it's been such a big part of me growing up. You know, I I say this a lot to people. It's, you know, I have friends that came into hardcore. It was a self-discovery thing for themselves in their teenage years, or they got an older brother that got them into it. I, I was born and raised in it. And like, I feel like it's such, that's why it's really part of my identity outside of just being a genre of music, you know, like. My mom was going to the uh, the Clash's Rock Against Racism gig. She was in like a scooter gang that was going around beating up Nazis. And, you know, you had my dad that raised in the north of England, but really into like his youth crew bands. And like, you know, in he, my, my dad, you know, a lot of people, either, <laughs> he's kind of like an urban legend in, in the world of Harker in the sense that, you know, he's not ever been involved, involved, but I just talk about him so highly or he's he's had solid interaction with bands I've introduced him to and, you know, because he, he comes from from that world as well, you know, for, in terms of being a, a, a gig goer and a fan of the music. So he he raised me on like the staples in that scene. And then, you know, also being the north of England, Joy Divisions and stuff like this. So like my parents are always really open to me having my own sense of self-discovery within punk rather than me discovering punk, if that makes sense. So a lot of kids, you know, their parents listen to like Queen and everything like this. And, you know, it was cool, like listening to Eminem with my dad in the car, you know, was an excuse to say the word bitch as loud as I could more than anything, but, you know, or uh, listening to like gorillas and stuff, but then we'd be, you'd be throwing it into like Nirvana records or like sick of it all records and like all of these kinds of bands. So like, 
really, it's genuinely had a presence in my life and in my family, you know, and, and, and that's what, that's why a lot of the relationships that I hold very dear in hardcore and, and in the punk world, those people are like family to me because it really, not to be cheesy or to sound like a mad ball lyric, but it's like an integral part of my DNA. So it's hard to pinpoint specific times, but I can pinpoint like moments I got into like my own side of the genre and stuff like this, you know? <laughs> the mad ball lyric uh comment is hilarious i'm pretty sure there is a mad ball lyric that's like <laughs> you are my dna you're mine i probably because my dad has it on a t-shirt at this point it's probably somewhere it ends with hardcore pride yeah yeah exactly oh, dude no it's more embarrassing when he wants you to wear it matching with him like just thank you mad ball for that one have you ever like booked your your twin in for like meetings you should have been at no but no she... No, no, no. But once we have the same voice, so she did break up with someone over the phone for me. Nice. I'm glad I asked now. Okay, cool. Yeah. I would do so much evil shit if I had an identical twin. Like, I sat one of her exams for her, but for the sake of this being a public-facing podcast and the job that she has now, I won't say which one. <laughs> Can I keep that in, though? <laughs> yes, you may. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> good story. Good story. So we got your origin story, which is fantastic. What's the quick origin story of the brand? Uh, I interned at Kerrang! Magazine in 2009. I'm very grateful, you know, to give a 14-year-old kid the opportunity to sit in an office surrounded by people that are playing unreleased albums and telling you to go photocopy Lemmy quotes and makes you realize how much that sucked. Um, that That's kind of the origin. And then I remember there was a guy called Nick that worked there. Uh, really cool guy, kind of like lost touch over the years. Just, I think he kind of might have fallen out of journalism. I just didn't really see him at anything. And this was in, when Kerrang! was at Mapping House. And I remember the moment, very, very clear. I stood outside their office. Uh, I was pissing it down. Sorry, that's, a, that's an English saying for it's raining. It was pissing it down. And I just turned to him and I was like, I don't know. There was just like, there was a kind of like, I got so hyped at what like Kerrang!'s offices would be and what it'd be like working for them that, I mean, I was grateful for the opportunity, but I was a little depleted because I think I went into it as such like a strong, like passionate music fan. And seeing the absolute stress the editor at the time, Bobby, was under, I was like, okay, I, this isn't what I want. The kind of environment that I'd want to really create a music magazine from, especially, you know, I, I watched Almost Famous that year, that that kid about, uh, that movie about that kid, William Miller, getting to be, if, if anyone's looking to watch like a cool-ass cult true music movie, go watch Almost Famous. But yeah, like he's the kid that's not really liked in school because he's, highly intellectual which was not necessarily relatable for me I mean like I was in the top classes but I everyone around me was very conservative and their parents hated the idea of punks and they saw them as crusty evil beings so I didn't really get on too well with people in school um so but at the same time my friends were all from going to shows uh so I had that nice balance and yeah like that was it and and so I would talk to them as music fans and me as a music fan and then, yeah, I mean, fast forward a couple of years, I just freelanced a fair bit for like various different online magazines and print magazines as a photographer as well. And come 2018, I was on uh, my first tour and what well, I, was, I was doing a couple of shows of this tour. I went, I got invited, I started as a photographer photographing like a, a project on tattooed people, right? And Mitch Lucker's Suicide Silence. Uh, reached out and was like, hey, you want to take my portrait? I did. And he was like, do you want to come to a couple of shows? And like, because I just said in passing, I'd never worked in, um, never been truly on tour or anything outside of like friends that were DIY tours across like, 
you know, like the coast of England and stuff like this. So he invited me out and then across the road at the time, I was like really championing this prior to me even having any sort of um, friendship with these guys. I was really championing comeback kid and they were playing across the road at the underworld. And then I think they were like coming over to the back of the ballroom because that tour was cool, right? Yeah. Like these nuts, Steve, two guns, a couple of others. I mean, I mean, they could be blurring over the years. So in that backstage of the electric ballroom, you had like a lot of now prolific people in hardcore when they're in that kind of midpoint. And I was just wondering why nobody was like covering some of these bands outside Suicide Science. So I'm sat there in the room when Mitch is like, you know, getting ready to take his photo or whatever when he's doing interviews. And it's kind of been like asked the same questions again and again. So it was a culmination of my friend at the time that was there, which was the original designer of the magazine, my friend Dean. Um, Mitch having been asked multiple things and, you know, come back in. I think it might have even been Terror as well, playing across the road. Like literally as in you cross the road and that's what they were playing. Not really getting any press attention. That, yeah, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'll start my own magazine. I like told these people and it was cool because it was like, you know, I had Mitch Luckett emailing people for me to like help me out. You know what I mean? And be like, look, he was like my friend starting a magazine that truly comes from a good place, etc. And And that was it. And we released the first issue. And the, yeah, the artist that was on the first cover, like they were playing a certain magazine anniversary show and they found out for some reason, either they weren't getting paid a lot or like they just weren't happy with it. They go out on stage and I was just shooting some portraits of them and I was like, screw it. You seem to hate the music press. Do you want to be on the cover? And they go out on stage and they were like, fuck XYZ magazine as in, as in the one that wasn't us um, and and a bunch of others. And yeah, it just it just got to the point where that was cool because when people were reciprocating, they're like, okay, here's a magazine that's going to cover stuff that's doing well, but isn't really getting like mainstream coverage. You know, in the following issue, like heavily leaning into like uh, UK hardcore and involvement with that, putting like Yoda Mice on the cover and it, it snowballed, you know, and next thing you know, I'm, um, I was always trying my hand in different things because I couldn't play an instrument to save my life. So I was doing like videography at the time or like my dad's VHS skate cam, like video camera he was going out skateboarding with in his youth or, you know, things like uh, photography and I was shooting film before it became a hype thing as well because my parents straight up refused to buy me a digital camera. <laughs> They're like, if you're to learn photography, learn with like the origin. You know, I still shoot on that camera now. 90% of my work, I'm still shooting on that um, Minolta XGM1. So yeah, it kind of became that. And then, yeah, you know, like, so I was doing these things. So I'd be like, you know, I'd be photographing and filming Ghost Fest and I'd be filming Turnstile playing to like 15 people. And then after their set, because I wanted to share with them the video, like going up to these people like them and trapped under ice and a couple others and being like, hey, do you want this footage? And just being like a human being to these people. So like, I guess as Discovered grew, we had relationships already in place, like working relationships and strong and even friendships with some of these people that, you know, as the mag- as that world's kind of grown and these arts have grown, it's like, it, you know, they bring up those that help them at the beginning. And I think that's kind of been like, I was saying this on a, on another podcast last night. Um, you know, it, it it's really about humanizing the music press because I've also had incidents, right? Uh, story so far, this was them, Tone Style and Drug Church playing in Manchester 2018. And I, 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 my friend was TMing Drug Church, so I went to hang out with him. Um, and that's kind of like where I met those guys for the first time. And, and Patrick Kinlan's like a really, really cool guy and they're very interesting people. But I remember I was there and one of the guys, I think, I can't remember, it might have been Will, someone else from the story so far, like, peeped their head in and they were like, oh, you're not a journalist, are you? And I I could just feel like the vibe was off, kind of like, you know, when they called him the enemy and um, almost famous. And I was like, oh, 
well, it, it depends why. And they're like, oh, we're hiding from, I'm going to throw them under the bus, but we're hiding from rock sound because they're doing this really cheesy pop punk cover and we don't want to do it. And so like, that was the first time I realized that I was in a situation where I was like, okay, I'm a journalist, but this is the thing that I run. Um, and it was cool. You know, I just saw Parker Cannon at Sound and Fury last weekend, um, you know, because of no pressure. And by the time this podcast drops, we've got them on the cover. And, it, and it's cool because like some of these covers that we ran, it's people that don't like the press. You know, they don't like the press. They don't like the traditional sense of it. I, I don't know why each have their own experiences. And yeah, I mean, that kind of became the origin I discovered. It was like an excuse to put my mates on a platform and get people into them. Um, you know, because when you're showing your friends stuff, this is pre a band having a million Facebook likes to convince them they were cool or loads of cool Instagram videos to send them. It was that they would be in magazines. So I could kind of make some of my friends' bands seem a little cooler by putting them in this this physical, tangible thing and then showing it to my other friends that were music fans. And then they would tell me about their favorite bands and then I'd put them in. And yeah, it, it was kind of like a zine, but at the time of studying, you know, my GCSEs and studying business and stuff, like it kind of just turned into what it is now. And, you know, that includes like our distro, our vinyl collaborations, merch and, and everything else. That's a, that's a great origin story. I just also wanted to say for the record, like I didn't consider myself press until you reached out to me. And when you said humanizing the press, it's like, you know, you're a real person, you go to venues, you go to shows it's not some big conglomerate magazine that no one's like, you know, the people working there. Right. So when you yeah. had reached out and you're like, Hey, I like what you're doing. You know, I was just like, Oh, right on. Like you do seriously. That's crazy. So <laughs> it's just like, I didn't even realize it was a thing till we had spoken. If that makes any sense. Yeah, exactly. And I think like, that's something that I'm loving about punk and hardcore blowing up right now is yeah. You have the sad things of magazines, fuck it, keep this in. Magazines like Revolver trying to dig their claws into it and trying to seem genuine or the right. Hard Times recently doing their whole supposed California takeover and then not working with local bands and promoters and figures in the scene. And right. yeah, that side sucks. But what I'm seeing is like cool little zines or podcaster people like you and, and Ray Harkins and stuff. Like we're finally getting the recognition of being taken seriously as a form of press. And I think it's because we have that trust and relationship with the people we're working with. And, you know, I think that's a great thing about punk and hardcore people mistaken it for gatekeeping, but I think we're just so precious about it being so genuine that, you know, I, I, I honestly, you know, like, you know, having someone like Parker Cannon now featuring a documentary we're putting together who never does interviews is a cool phenomena. But for me, I'm also like, yeah, fair play. Like the way that that guy got portrayed in the press and other hardcore bands and stuff got ignored for so long. I'm kind of glad that some of them are saying a oh, fuck you and not doing any other press and instead allowing people like us that are genuinely support from the beginning to, to kind of get, I don't say like to get ahead, but like, yeah, it, it's something that I'm I'm more protective of. Like even now when people are right, apply to write for us, not in a gatekeeper way, like they could be new to hardcore, they could be new to punk. And like, I love that. I, you know, I always love new perspectives, but I want to, you know, I want to, <laughs> I want to see that they're genuine. I mean, Amos Hayes, by the time this comes out, he would have been, promoted to sub-editor at Discovered. Do you know why I gave him the job? We sat down, we went to, we were at Outbreak Festival together. I sat down, I went to give him his job interview, right? You know, a job interview is kind of a briefing for it, kind of interviewing for the position, right? And he turns up and his face is like fucking clean open, covered in blood, um, you know, or he's got this stitch. And I remember just thinking like, yes, <laughs> like, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. Outbreak, they had like this this balcony in the new space, right? And it's all like a press balcony and an industry balcony. 
and I, was, I stood up there with a good friend of mine, uh, I don't know, maybe during Turnstile or one of the other sets, Year of the Knife or something. And I stood up with um, up there with a wonderful woman called Geneva Gamblin who works at Electro Music and, and works with Turnstile and stuff. We both stood there watching them. And she keeps nudging me. And I'm like, what's it? She's like, there's another one of your journalists stage diving. There's the other one stage diving. There's that. And yeah, like, and, and so for me, like, that's something that I find is really cool. I mean, I was just at this big skate music event and there was another particular magazine's journalist walking around and she was kind of walking around with this like I'm holier than Val kind of attitude and I was like meanwhile if you look where our people were like they're actually talking to the skateboarders and stuff see see yeah I, I kind of feel like I'm going on a big tangent here but I, but I think that that's quite important is like people like you and I like previously when the mainstream press was at an all-time high and punk and hardcore was being ignored there's a major genre where bands are taking home six million and merch like some of them are actually doing right now like prior I guess we weren't seen as serious but now the tables have turned and yeah I think we can call ourselves press but I don't know like I mean I feel like press is a weird thing I, I think I just call ourselves as part of the community you know I completely agree I, I was gonna say you know keep uh keep the independent press on the ground floor at the show venues real people that sort of idea I just wanted to talk about that as well mm-hmm. so I completely agree but yeah I also think the word press is a is a strange thing to even say. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. A guy called Adam that's worked for me for years. Um, he works in like a newsroom as his day job, uh, as his day job. I mean, oh, like, that's not, press. Not, not, that's yeah, press. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I mean, day job. I mean, like he freelances for us, and it's a paid freelance gig. But what I'm saying is, like, you know, like his nine to five, the major bill player payer for him. Right. Um, you know, he was my sub editor for a few years, but you know, he enjoyed more on the writing side than the chasing people for emails and having to go at people side of it, which is not for everyone. I'm, you know, or the vast majority of work that goes into that side of it. So, but anyway, we were at sound, um, we were at outbreak and it was when like the, the famous, like, like those, those train strikes were happening in the UK and some guy comes up to us and like our passes we had around on that. It felt really like weird to wear a pass at something like outbreak where, you know, all these bands, you're like part of their community. And then you have like this ostracized pass around your neck that says press which kind of like your friends go from casually telling you about their upcoming albums to like you're tucking it under your shirt so that you don't they don't think you're wearing a wire and this guy comes up to adam and i he's like oh you guys are like the press right and i was like nah like i do a punk and hardcore magazine for a living and i you know manage eyes etc but adam being you know very honest was like oh yeah i work in a newsroom this guy's like you're the guy making train conductors that we make 30 grand and i was like nah dude honestly is that how he talked yeah, no, I, 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 it was the same tone, shall yeah, we say? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It was the mindset yeah. of like, and and yeah, and and it really sparked this this mind like this thing in my head that I definitely felt when I was at Sound and Fury, where it was the opposite. You know, you're walking around in the backstage, people, and also like know who you are in an arrogant way, but you've got like a good rep with them, and they they're coming up and they talk to you about, hey, we should do an interview about this, or I got a new album coming out. It was a way more relaxed thing in comparison to like being there labeled as press, if that makes sense. So I'm going to go right for the throat here. What's the least favorite part of your job? And part two of that question, who gives you more headaches, the musicians themselves or the people within the music industry? (laughs) I'm going to answer both. And I mean this in a very generalized way. And no, I mean this by specific cases. Do you know what the absolute bane of anyone in hardcore's life is, right? When you have a physical product that gets shipped, the kid who orders it from a UK company on a Sunday night and wants it Monday afternoon in fucking Australia or somewhere and then is losing their mind at you 
because they expect it to be tracked and delivered in like a time machine. That is the worst bit. But I have just started working with a new distro company that has customer service built into part of their distro company. So it's not going to be my problem anymore. Stop asking me where the fuck your vinyl is. Um, It can really be a mixture um, between the two as to like what's, I I mean, people can equally give you headaches, right? I'm going to throw my friends under the bus because they know about this scenario and I bring it up a lot. And I know that they know that this is uh, something that wound me up. The one that wound me up is, right, I'll give you an example of both, but like industry has like rattled my head and where a band is rattled my head because I really do think it's part and parcel. You can't say it's because someone's in a band or because they work in the industry. It's generally sometimes you come across individuals that are a certain type of way to work with. Okay, come back kids, slam dunk festival, let's go. Uh, I had about two hours sleep (laughs) between both show days and we were meant to leave the festival site at 10 p.m. At half 11 at night, There was only one member of the band in the van. (laughs) The other ones had been kidnapped by no effects and reappeared blind drunk. One of the bandmates was like, we had like vegan catering, right? And he was like, okay, it was like handling small children. Um, Every time he was like, for every time a bandmate is late, I'm going to eat more of this cake. So you're kind of going, look, please don't eat all this cake. You're going (laughs) to throw up everywhere like a little kid. And then every time somebody appeared, somebody else disappeared. And it got to the point where, like, I had to, like, sit in the front of the van and just close my eyes and pretend to be asleep. Like, I feel like this is what parents do when kids are arguing in the back of the car. (laughs) And, like, one of them's driving and they're like, can you shut the kids up? And they pretend to be asleep. That is an example where, like, it has been the... I'm just like, okay, why do I put myself in these scenarios? But I love those guys dearly. So like, it's one of those where maybe in any other job role, you would not have the tolerance that you do for stupid shit that you and your friends get up to. But on the flip of that, the industry sometimes, I think it's definitely been more since um, hardcore has been crossing into the mainstream and bands that prior, you know, you would you would, you would would work with Scott Vogel direct, right? Or you would work with like a, a hardcore band direct and, you know, it was very casual to exchange phone numbers uh, to talk about work or to chase things up with one another. And then sometimes you get someone who's like, and it, and it's fair play because their job is to be like the middleman, right? And they're paid to be the middleman. And then sometimes that can cause like a clash and stepping on toes. But it, it's all about how you handle that situation, right? Because ultimately you can make it difficult by for yourself or you can understand the other person's standpoint and be like, ah, you know what, you're right. Like, and you just kind of, you kind of have a nice chat with them about how the cultures are different in this kind of music and scene versus like, you know, working with like a pop artist, like an Olivia Rodrigo or like the regrets or something that's more, more pop orientated, you know? But if you had to pick, would it be the musicians or the the music industry that give you more headaches? <sighs> I, I can't pick one. I can't pick one. <laughs> equal? Because, equal parts? No, dude, because honestly it yeah. fluctuates. Oh, and true. It's like, okay. But I'm also in a very lucky position where, like, it's really rare that someone gives me a headache. Dude, I, like, throwing it down into, like, sounds like dramatic, but I had a heart attack from stress in 2018. In fact, on this day in 2018. So Actually? Happy four-year four heart attack anniversary. I, I don't know. People call it, like, a second birthday. But, like, for me, I just oh my clocked God. the day and I was like, fuck it. I had a heart attack from stress. After that. I really vowed that it would take a fucking lot to stress me out because I love music and I love my job, but nothing's worth nearly dying at the age of 24. 
it does seem like almost nothing will slow you down on your mission to be documenting this music. What's the most dangerous thing you've done in the name of your work? Uh, I've traveled to some countries that maybe aren't the most savory. Uh, I can't really go into too much detail, but held at gunpoint in Kuala Lumpur in the airport by airport security because one of the bands that I was with on tour decided that they were going to throw a stroke at security guard because they had a music video that was drug related and it got pulled by the minister of culture. I don't know. I mean, there's just some really funny scenarios you find yourself in where like you're both looking at each other and you're like, ha we almost died there. Like, I mean, like even like in countries that are like slightly more savory. I mean, I, we were driving back from Boston on the last day of the comeback kid East coast tour and Jeremy just starts nervously laughing. He's like, how oh, almost drove into a pillar there. And you're like, oh, okay, that could have happened. Like, I, I think maybe that, I think d- dangerous is probably not one singular event, but maybe there's been things that like have pushed me towards the edge of like a nervous breakdown or stress. But I think it's probably because the way I've handled some of those situations. I mean, there's been, there's been the traditional ones, right? You know, you're at a festival and you've had to break over a fence and you slit your arm open and you're like, fuck it, I'll get seen when I get back to England and you're bleeding all over your van as you're driving it to the French border. and Normal stuff, doc- yeah. Yeah, exactly. Your doctor tells you that you've probably not had a tetanus shot too soon. Like, just just stupid stuff. And it, But it's part and parcel of DIY tour. I mean, I dude, I mean, like, even when I was last going on route to Toronto, I woke up and, like, the oxygen mask was down on a plane. I thought, am I really dying on route? Does he come back? Kid play Toronto. Like, really? really like there are so many fucking cooler ways to die but like <laughs> yeah i think there's that i think that that you are your biggest danger to yourself if you don't know how to handle yourself in music that's probably what i'm gonna say to answer that yeah and i want to talk about your uh your chaos here because you recently got dvt which i didn't know what that was and i wanted you to put on record the story behind that do you know what? that isn't even a wild story so i'm gonna correct you on this uh okay <laughs> If my parents listen to this, I'm not going to tell you what I did next. Okay, so I, (laughs) I, and my dad, like, real supports me, so he's going to listen to every word of this, by the way. So just as a heads up, if we get into anything like, this may be illegal, might might need a slight edit there. No, Hmm. so DVT tends to happen when you've been on, like, long-haul flights and you already have, like, problems with, like, it's more likely to impact you if you have, like, problems um, uh, with, like, blood, like, blood type related stuff so i have a uh, sinus node bradycardia which means i have a slower heart rate than usual so i'm kind of at a higher risk but like i normally know what to do on a like a long haul flight like get up and like walk across the plane you know like take laps do your stretches get up and like wash your face like just stuff that you do and basically dvt is like uh you get like a blood clot or like it, it, okay so there's like different variations you can either get like an extreme blood clot that will kill you because you didn't realize you had it and it goes up and gives you like a lung embolism or you can feel like you can have telltale signs now I had to change the routing of my flight. Normally direct UK to Los Angeles is eight hours. So I know what to do on a flight that long. I had to go just because the time of year Sun and Fury was to make it feasible. I had to go fly London to Rome, 20 minutes stopover in Rome, Rome back onto a four, two hour flight to the UK. So all in all, it was like on a plane for 14 hours, right? Uh, I land, drop all my shit off uh, and go straight to like our anniversary show. And me being me carried away in the moment, I decided to stage dive. And I got crowd surfed around the room, which, by the way, I was hoping I would just stage dive and somebody would put me down. So there was probably a real look of horror when I was picked up and crowd surfed. I mean, it was cool because it was our anniversary show, but I was also like, please put me the fuck down. It's the sweatiest place ever. And all of your sweaty hands are touching me. Um, So <laughs> later that, the, the following night, uh, I feel like just some like 
usual usual like prescribed herbal sleeping tablets to help me sleep and I woke up and I just couldn't like feel my legs and I was like okay this is a bit weird so like walk downstairs I was like maybe I need to stretch them out whatever and I like woke up and I was like okay somehow I'm at the bottom of the stairs but I don't remember walking down them but I've sat upright so maybe this is okay so uh my neighbor called a paramedic because he heard like me falling down the stairs essentially but I didn't really I was like okay cool and yeah like spoke to a paramedic and they're like where's the pain and like I showed her on my phone the crowd surf picture and you just hear the longest like but like this poor paramedic is coming to see me at like 3 a.m. And by the way, she's left her radio in my house. So on the off chance, the paramedic from Royal Berkshire Hospital is listening to this. Your radio with the code 72SNMI is in my house. It's in my bathroom. Please come collect it. Um, nice. I don't know how to turn it on. I was in a hope that I could get onto the radio and they'd radio it and then pick it up. But alas, I can't turn it on. But anyway, back to the DVT stuff. So... Yeah, and it was it was just from being on a long haul flight, and they gave me blood thinners, and I I feel okay, and, and I was they, lucky that it wasn't as serious as it turned out to be. Right, and they told you to relax, and you're probably going to make <laughs> me cut this, but then you drove sixteen fucking hours right after, didn't you? Yeah, I've been to Italy, so like, yeah, in, in, no, right. They tell you not to necessarily relax. You're not allowed on another plane or anything with air pressure. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So. I, Right, come on. I like lift it up, you know. I was like, I can drive to Italy. No, because I had a reservation to be in Italy anyway. And like the trip to Italy was so that I could take actual time off. You know what I mean? So I could be like near the water, near this big lake. It's an amazing place called Lake Como. Completely okay. chill out, drink wine with like f- friends and family. You know what I mean? Like have a proper day off. Yeah, right. the only thing that was I had to find a way to get there and I wasn't allowed on a plane. So in my defense, <laughs> I took a risk to go relax, which is very on brand for me. That's exactly why I wanted it uh, to be discussed, to be honest, because I was I was shaking my head when you were having that chat with me. Through- yeah, well, and also like, I mean, in the same year, I, I got thrown off a horse. And then, do you know what I did True. the minute I came off? The, yeah, I got thrown off a horse. I was in Morocco, right? Yep. I, I've ridden horses quite well. Um, and the, a lot of the guys in Scal actually ride horses. So we had a big chat about this. Nice. Um, and some dog, we were like riding on like a beach, this, this, and it started galloping. And a gallop's quite cool. Like, if you know what you're doing with galloping, it's not an immediate danger. You just have to pull like the reins and stop the horse from going like ape shit. And like a, a dog came like running off the beach and like I got thrown off. But the scary bit was, it wasn't just being thrown off the horse, it's when it went on its back legs. I was like, this guy's going to come down and kill me. Dude, life changing experience. Because after that, <laughs> I sit up, I dust myself off, and I had a missed call from, uh, the booking agent for comeback in just immediately rang him uh, back about the upcoming London show. And I was like, yeah, I can't argue with you right now. I've just been thrown off a horse. Can you give me five minutes? So that was Everyday the moment stuff. where I was like, yeah, maybe it's good to take a break from work. Cause I feel like the last thing I want to do if I was to die in that immediate situation would be arguing about a show backline logistic, you know? <laughs> Well, like I already said, it seems like nothing's going to slow you down here. <laughs> What's the furthest you've traveled, though, for Discovered? I mean, like, if you were to globally map out miles, I mean, I've been all the way to Australia and New Zealand and Vietnam and Southeast Asia and the continent of Africa. and So, I mean, like, you'd have to get out a, 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 an atlas and figure out mileage. But, okay, I mean, last year alone for music, I can pull this up because I, I keep a mile log every year. Right, it's gonna take me a second to scroll down and find this, but I and let me just turn the volume down so it's a play. I did a, a mile log last year, I did 23,000 plus miles. Damn, yeah, like all over the world, uh, Central America, 
El Salvador, uh, all over the place. And, and again, it was in the sake, it was for the sake of work, you know? So better question, where haven't you been for Discovered yet that you would love to go to? Um, South Africa. I'd love to like, I've heard great things about the scene there. And like, it's, it's on my bucket list. I don't know, like Japan. Weirdly enough, I've not really had the chance to do Japan. And like, we right. have a kind of cult following for the magazine out there. A guy buys, uh, bulk buys magazines of me every month and sells them in Japan. So like we always do really well with like Japanese readership and Japanese. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So like it'd be cool to see that I, I really what I really want to do is like shout out to like Kai from the Geeks. Um I was introduced to him at a Youth for Today show in 2019. And it was cool like we have so many mutual friends like through Comeback Kid or like Youth for Today guys and like I was just in the circle of hardcore right and, and yeah he was like he was cool as fuck and you know, I'd love to go out in Korea because he's kind of doing what I'm doing in Korea in the sense that, like, um, he's, like, highlighting artists and, like, buying in vinyls so people can afford to buy it in Korea and then putting on, like, local shows and stuff. So, like, I think, it, you know, I, of all the countries I've traveled to, yeah, there's been some cool shows in America. Yeah, there's been some cool shows in Europe and shit. But, like, the ones that are most memorable for me is, like, when I see, like, a real kinship of um, uh, community. And it's not to say you don't see that at Sound and Fury and stuff, but, like, in countries where maybe it's taken for granted a bit more. So, I mean, I'm really looking forward to, um, and I want to shout out to this, in December, Carlos from Raw Brigade is putting on a festival, um, with a punk and alcohol festival called 100 Bagata. I'm really looking forward to going out to that. I'm, You know, I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, I've got a lot of friends in like Costa Rica and spent a lot of time out there and like seeing, you know, I've seen shows in Costa Rica, I saw Terror in Costa Rica. Um, You know, I, I'd love to see what that's going to be like. And it's got... I don't think the lineup's been announced yet, so I won't say it, but it's got some fucking cool bands. And that'll be cool to see, let alone like in that part of the world, you know? Absolutely. So with everywhere you've been, I mean, you started off with photography and filming. Do you have like a specific photo that you've taken that is your favorite or a specific magazine cover that you've done that is your favorite so far? I have a favorite magazine cover that I didn't take and then I've got a favorite photo. Um, yeah, let's hear them. <laughs> do you, you have to no favorite photo like i mean there's probably a lot from over the years right like i have like oh, six yeah. or seven hard drives worth but one that stands out recently um i really love this photographer called autumn the wild like she was back in the day shooting like death cab for cutie in a certain style and like this really playful style where she would take just like simple backstages and make them seem super entertaining and i took a photo uh or photo i should pronounce my t's so i don't sound like a common englisher um so my east end accent doesn't come out uh, but yeah I, I took a photo of uh jimmy eat one and, and yeah it was cool like you know working with them and like building a set for them in front of a tour bus it was a very surreal moment because like I, they're a band that made me love photography that's how i got into wanting to be in the music photographer seeing their album covers and the tributes they were paying to like william eggleston and stuff like this so it was really cool to see them like to, it was cool to work with them again because whenever i work with them it's always been very conceptual like photography photography you know so we did the, it's just this shot they had, a, they had a flight case and they all just sort of like peered over the top of it um and i just shot it with a like stood on the ladder and just took the photo and like that that to me is like uh you know I, I put that on my um if it's something that means the world to me it will end up on the stairwell in my house <laughs> is the best way to describe it when i first got my out like my own house um it important shit went up in the stairwell um and that was the reason i wanted to buy a house not a flat so like that that was it and yeah, like I walk down it every morning and I see that and, you know, that's that's a cool reminder. But, you know, that's my all time favorite band is Jimmy Eat World and it's a lot of my friends' favorite bands. And 
you know, it was a band that I dreamed of photographing when I was 13, 14 and didn't think I could even have, have a career in music. So to have that and then have the photo have a lot of personality and and I can look at it and see my own sort of style there, like that that means the world. And then in terms of discovered cover, you know, I, I was thinking this, you know, because we're putting together a book, a coffee table book of like 100 best interviews over the last 10 years. And, you know, the foreword's being written by uh, Pat Flynn from... Uh, have heart and fiddlehead and oh, you know, nice. and it, yeah yeah and, and like yeah. Their, their their cover that we did was I, I normally really hated live shots as covers like I really fucking hate them like I just think that unless it's capturing an insane level of chaos which luckily you can do a punk and hardcore it's just kind of like I want to see who who the story's about you know what I mean I want I want to have a bit of a feeling to it and it's just a yeah, it's just this co- amazing cover shot of um, a photographer, French-Canadian photographer called Alex Le Bigotte. I think I've pronounced it right, or Le Bigotte. Or, uh, this is pretty bad. I have French family. You should probably know how to pronounce this. But anyway, French-Canadian guy, really, really nice guy. Um, He went and shot the Have Heart reunion show. And, you know, it's essentially from the back. It's, an, it's a gray-haired guy singing to an audience of 10,000 people. And then there's a guy stage diving off the shot who happens to be a, a person of color. And there's a woman at the front of the stage losing her mind. Like it really just encapsulated the spirit of discovered, I think. And, you know, the have heart cover meant the world because what happened when, when have heart announced they were doing reunions, a Kerrang magazine article went up. I mean, it was a news article saying, Oh, have hearts back. And, and I don't know who in the band decided this or if a label person or what, but like an immediate message and kind of, rumor went out across the scene which is like photographers could apply to um uh, you know could could apply to uh cover the shows but they weren't allowed to do it for magazines and it was again one of those scenarios where punk and argo were shying away from the idea of the press so i yeah i i reached out to pat and was like look you know yeah it's a magazine but what i care about the most and what you share with discovered and the common denominator between two of us is like what you're trying to achieve with these shows, which is not only they reunion shows with an amazing band, but, you know, in fact, I really couldn't care less about Half Heart in the sense that outside of like, you know, at the time, as in what I mean, it's like, you know, they're a band my older brother was into. So I listened to them briefly and like, you know, songs were screaming at the sun from him and stuff like this, but it wasn't really like my own. It wasn't a very personal band for me in comparison to some people at those shows, but the message of what he was doing and making hardcore collectively come together to stand up against the inhumane situation of children being separated from their parents uh, by ICE under Trump's immigration policies, it, it spoke volumes. And yeah, I mean, that that cover means the world to me because it was a turning point where like we really got the attention of the punk and hardcore world, not just like have heart, but bands that never would agree to do press were suddenly like willing to talk to us because I think they saw that we were one of their own. And I think that that cover really means the world. I mean, like I've seen people on Reddit and like various in corners of the internet, like they framed that cover with their ticket because it meant that much to them. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, for, for me, it was a really, a really, really, really cool and special moment. And, and, you know, it's not the, it's not the world's best shot cover. And, you know, we've had some amazing portraits taken, some really clever, interesting covers. You know, you've got uh, Ross from One Step Closer dropping off on a skateboard from the top of their van over the top of them, or you have, uh, drain great photo being, yeah yeah being like skateboarded over the top of by um henry gartland you know rest in peace and like and, and so there are these really amazing it but like yeah i think the have heart one just had a really special place in, no pun intended but like in my heart and like 
I think at the center of discovering it and really making people realize that we're very real and when we're about it with punk and hardcore. So out of all these bands that you work with, listen to, have worked with, is there one band in particular that you're listening to right now that you don't think is getting enough attention that deserves more hype? I was going to say space, but I think everyone's on a hype about them right now. So I love it. And it's the same with pain of truth, but uh, there's a band from California called bent blue. Um, they remind me of like that phased out era of turnstile where they're like, I don't say they're messing with genres. They're experimenting with it. And like, they're beginning to get hype. And I think they're great. I think Shiva, Shiva's amazing from California. They remind me a lot of, um, um, you know, like they, they remind me a lot of like what you have going on with, uh, like early trapped under ice, but then UK wise, though the UK wise, two absolutely amazing bands I love from the UK right now. Ordeal, uh, absolutely into them. Birmingham based beatdown band. Their vocalist, she is like just so fucking cool, like shaved head, like as a tattooist, like just brings this raw fucking unapologetic energy. And then Sentience, um, from Kent, another really amazing band. Neat people, you know, like because I feel like um. UK shows are still very dominated and I, I would love to see Sentience and Ordeal on like more of them and, and it's cool because it's like when the Triple B package came to the UK like you know Ordeal was opening on that and I think it was cool to have somebody in the realm of representing UK hardcore in a more international way that wasn't just you know four white dudes so they're both, both really cool and then Sentience are just my god like they've only got a demo out but I, again I think if they get the right attention they'll They'll, they'll be up there, you know, they'll be doing cool shit. I think they'll be up there with, like, the kind of, like, the big cheeses and stuff like that of uh, the UK hardcore scene. So I'm sure it's just countless amounts of bands you've worked alongside of now, but is there one band, or more than one band, what bands haven't you worked with yet that you'd love to work with for Discovered? So <laughs> the, my dream band isn't even, like, a, a, a huge stadium-sized band. But their album is my all-time favorite hardcore album, right? All-time favorite hardcore album. Uh, and that's Cold World. I'd, I'd love to work with them. Like, that album dedicated to the babies who came feet first, incendiary. Like, it's just, it's incredible. It's like, you know, it mixes so many genres of, like, hip-hop and ska and reggae. And, like, you know, I really think people don't realize that without Cold World, you wouldn't have Trapped Under Ice, you wouldn't have Painted Truth, you wouldn't have, like so many of these bands that are seen as such important or like future stakeholders for punk and hardcore cold cold world's one i would i would absolutely love to work with i mean i'm very lucky where um i've, I've got a working relationship with my favorite bands now and, and you know and i'm very very grateful for that or, or i've worked with them in passing so i don't really think there's anyone that i'm like you know i'd, I'd love to pick the brains of rage against the machine i'd love to, i'd love to talk to sack de la rocha from like a, a cultural standpoint but yeah i think I'm really excited. I'm, I'm working with Matty Madison next month in Canada. And like, he's someone I've wanted to work with for a while now. And... Oh, could you say what you're doing there? Cause that's cool. Uh, I no, Cause I, not, it won't no. be announced by the time. That's, the cool. Podcast comes that's out. cool. That's cool. Uh, that's cool. All I will say is discovered about to have a very prevalent. Uh, why is that word escape me? We're about, you're going to be able to notice discovered a lot more in Canada after that comes out. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Um, but yeah, like people like him, like for me, you know, bands are cool and, you know, and I love working with them, you know, and it was just even like my favorite moment is Sound and Fury. It wasn't even at Sound and Fury weekend. It was like in the morning going skateboarding with the guys and one step closer. Like I, I, I people who, who spread various cultural pockets and subcultures, 
those to me are the people that I'm really interested in working in right work, working with right now. So you've you've obviously been all over this crazy world here for you know punk music and hardcore. What do you think is the glue that keeps the communities together throughout you know the whole international presence of this music? You know, I was, I was having this discussion actually with Carlos from Raw Brigade at Sound and Fury. I think what we have is, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've not delved enough into the rap world. I mean, I've worked with Cypress Hills and I've, I've worked with a couple of other like heavyweight names in that 90s rap world. But like, I think that's definitely like, uh, there's definitely, yeah, it's a sense of community. It's like, it's, it's really weird because the world is so big but the scene is so small to some extent. You have like the pockets of the different worlds, but it's like, even before even meeting Carlos from Raw Brigade, we were both on each other's radar through a multitude of different friends and different bands and stuff like this. And I think like, that's what keeps it alive is that a lot of people drawn to punk and hardcore have outside of punk and hardcore somewhat slightly mundane lives or they aren't like doing super cool like influencer stuff and by the way influencer culture doesn't belong in punk and hardcore really putting that statement out there Um, so if you're an influencer trying to come into this just fucking don't we can see through your bullshit but getting into like what i think is the glue of that then of like the real the real scene that exists globally we all go to these shows feeling certain feelings and we have this incredible place to express it in a place that we're welcomed and you know, it just has a strong ethic about it. And, you know, it's a weird one. Like, if I'm out and about, right, and I see a guy in, like, a, a terror T-shirt, I know that we're probably on the same wavelength politically, right? We're probably anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti, you know, X, Y, and Z, misogynistic and things. And I think that that's it. And, like, there was this moment uh, being in Los Angeles recently. I went to All Power Books to do some stuff with Jesse from Sit Your Guns. And, like, you know, it's in an area that's maybe not like the safest part of Los Angeles um, where he's doing like real community work. And, you know, you had locals from the community that, you know, some of them were homeless. Some of them were probably not in the world's best position, but they're coming in. And in that moment, you know, you're talking to him about touring the world and writing in this incredible record. And then some like elderly gent pops in and he's like, hey, are you cool still to drive me to the dentist at four o'clock? And Jesse's just this normal guy like, yeah, of course I will. And like, that, that to me is really what it was about. And like, you know, I've got some best friends all over the world because of this music. And I think it's, I think it's that. But the thing that I was saying to Carlos is like, you should be proud to celebrate your individual scenes and the countries you come from. But, you know, I, I grew up living in different countries or going to different countries all the time. I was very lucky in that way that for, for me, I kind of don't feel like I belong in, in one specific scene. I mean, it, there was a really sweet moment when I was talking to this amazing photographer called Amy Carla in Los Angeles. And it's probably because I was like free whiskey deep. Um, but she was like, oh, you're part of the LAC. And like, I mean, it was flattering, but like it was very emotional just because in the sense that like for me, I just feel like I, and it, probably a lot of these bands have been touring for 20 plus years and you talk to them, you, you feel like you're part of something that's global but also is so precious, you know what I mean? Not precious in a gatekeepery way, but like it connects people like me and you or like Jessa that runs Hold Your Ground or like through to like the, the big name people. And I think that that's what I really like. No one's really truly got an ego. If they have, nobody really fucks with them. And yeah, it, it's just, I, I can't really, you know, if anyone listening to the podcast finds a way to put this into words, can you actually send it to me? Because I got to write an intro for a book and I'm shitting it. Speaking of book, can we talk about this? Are you going to put this book out at some time? Uh, yeah, pre-orders are already live. Are uh, they? 
yeah, and have been since for a couple of months. Come on, Rob. No, but no, anyways, no, your so, book, your book. Oh, that no, no, the the joke is I know too much stuff that I'm gonna write a book if I'm ever infinitely off my deathbed and it'll have to be released post my death because it'll be kind of like the burn book, the amount of chaos it'll cause. Were Not we joking though? Super- What's that? Were we joking though, or like, is that actually going to release upon? Your, I, don't, your I mean, D-day? no one knows what's going to happen tomorrow, <laughs> so I should probably get writing it now. Uh, exactly, exactly. Uh, I don't know. I feel like people that write autobiographies, unless you're like Dave Grohl, it's kind of like self-centered. I mean, everyone has fun stories, and maybe I'll write some little excerpts here and there mm-hmm. that will come out as like photo books or something. But like for me, you know, for many years I tried to separate myself so that I was a different person outside of just being discovered. But right now, it's like. I'm so proud of it and the team that's a part of it and people like Amos and Katie that work on it and stuff like this. So like, I feel like we have to collectively celebrate it. And in in the book that we have coming out, there's a couple of little fun stories. Yes. Let's plug that. Where can we get that? Uh, That's what I was supposed to be talking about. (laughs) Not your book, this book. Pre-orders are live on our web store. I'll send you a link so you can like drop it in um, somewhere on on here. And um, But yeah, the the 20 years in print, uh, not 20 bloody how I wish, the 10 years in print book. Uh, yeah, it's just a collection of like, not even like our biggest band interviews. It's like the ones that we feel were game game changers. Whether it was like a band that's now huge as introducing piece, or like those stories with bands like the story so far that not a lot of people get access or an honest insight to. So like, those those are the, I'm really excited with that because there's a couple of excerpts to like me and the other people that've been editors over the years or involved with it, whether it's designers, the photographers. Yeah, we've kind of laced it with like these little fun stories. So it's not just like a copy and paste of all of these. I mean, like, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk one story in particular that's in there is we had Turnstile on our 50th issue cover, right? And another magazine, I was so hyped, right? I was so hyped to be the first magazine in the UK to put Turnstile on the cover. But I think just due to timing and the logistics of getting them on the cover, um another national press magazine had put them on the cover. And I was like, I was pissed. I wasn't like pissed at the band or anything like that. I just knew that like the timing and I was like, okay, well, here we go. I guess we set, so we set up in the backstage in this, in this tiny little dressing room. Right. And I, I, I've known um, and worked with Justice Tripp for many years that does Trapped Under Ice. And obviously Trapped Under Ice is now the derivative of how we came, came about to have Time Style and Angel Dust and all these third degrees of Justice Trip, if you will. Um, and yeah, we were like shooting that cover. I was firing away the shots, firing away the camera. And everyone looked like very like, you know, very calm. He's a very like angelic looking kind of guy, Brendan. And yeah, you just ended up with Justice Trip just like found out like my feelings was he like kicks in the door. You can't really see it from on camera. He, like kicks in the door, roly polies into the shot. And it just erupted into chaos. And I was just firing away the camera. So just like fun little stories like that, like these little side notes of, how we got that cover shot or like, you know, being in Vietnam and watching a band from uh, on top of a ladder that's definitely not meant to be carrying a human being. You know, all these little fun stories are more laced in that book more than anything, because I feel like th- those are 10 years of my life instead of just 10 years of a magazine. So it was it was hard not to edit those in, you know. Very hyped to read it. So second song, uh, can you introduce the second song, what you picked and why you picked it? Uh, so this song is Where Did the Ripple Go- Ripples Go, uh, which is also the name of the album. And this is by a brand new California band called Bent Blue. I'm really excited about that band, um, the same way that I am about space in the sense of like, they're just doing so, they're, they're bringing a lot to punk and hardcore. They're bringing a lot to punk and I think music in general. And it's, it just rips, like it's such a good track. And it's one of these days, like, it reminds me 
less so about the kind of stuff that I'd go see live, but it reminds me a lot about the uh, the kind of thing that I would go out skateboarding to or my friends would. And it really, truly deserves to be in like a fresher edit. And they're just, they're just a band that everyone needs to be jumping on right now. So we've talked about a couple bands you haven't worked with yet that you'd love to work with. And I think I know the answer to this question, but I got to ask anyways, which company haven't you worked with yet that you'd love to connect with? Um, Carhartt. You know what? Weirdly enough, I mean, I've been in the same circles as the people who do with Carhartt, but I, I, it's weird because I don't really want to go putting ideas on the uh, the internet as to what I would want to do with them because you don't want their marketing team to hear it and be like, okay, cool, here's a good idea, let's roll with it. But there was a really cool thing that um, a friend of mine, Rick, Ricky Singh, he works uh, used to work at Roadrunner when I was working like with him on, you know, like, well, working with, like when he was working on the stuff, he's working at Roadrunner. He was also the guitarist of Backtrack and is now, uh, also, he's also the co-owner of Flashball Records. He, he showed me this really cool thing that he did with Carhartt where they created like a zine and it was like all these back in the day photos of like Madball and stuff wearing car and just something like that, like a brand with like rich, rich history. I mean, I work a lot with Vans and, um, you know, they are the dream, you know, I've, I've been wearing their shoes since I was a little kid. And, you know, I even have memories. Some of my favorite memories is like going into a van store with my dad and getting like uh, a new pair of Vans. And they were like these high tops, uh, Christian Jose high tops, like the Japanese rising sun on them. And like, yeah, like and so like to have to finally work with people like them and Tony Arfi at Warner Creative that like works with them is like 
but you know, pho photographing comeback kid in like their skateboard in House of Bands is it was a really cool full circle moment for when I was a kid, you know. I'm shocked you didn't say IKEA. Uh, <laughs> That's no, why I asked. No, we won't That's why I asked. Okay, actually, right. Do you know what? Rob, let's re-edit that answer. No, yeah. no, I'm keeping it. No, no, that. Rob, I would like to work with IKEA. Okay. IKEA. Two reasons you need to start talking to me right now. First of all, I'm sick of going to build cool backstage rooms in front of tour buses like I did with Jimmy Eat World. And it's just not good quality furniture. We were literally joking when we were doing that cover shoot that it was an Ikea advert. And like they were like genuinely convinced for a second that we were photographing a promotional campaign for Ikea and not a magazine cover. So for that reason, also Ikea is the most punk ethos in the world and it is just the best company. And I will fight anyone in the boxing ring of Outbreak Festival that wants to challenge that. Yeah, we've had too many talks about IKEA to not ask that on record. I had to. Oh yeah, no, dude, Rob, let me let me interview you and ask you if you could be any piece of IKEA furniture, what would you be? I'd be that old mirror I used to have um, in my. Oh, dude, you come on, you got to say like the actual name. Oh God, I don't remember what it was called. I can't pronounce half of that shit. Are you serious? Yeah, dude, come on, like you got to. I have no I, idea. What, what I would it... be. Yeah. The iconic every hardcore kid's own one. The iconic Oh god. Calyx. Yeah. I would be the Calax, the one that is so square but looks so classy yep. that you can hold all your vinyl in it. The Calax. Oh, you mean the one in my living room underneath my TV that holds all of my vinyl? That, like, my oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. The one that my podcasting equipment is literally balancing on. Yes. Nice. I'm gonna slap that sturdy Calax right there. <laughs> oh, also, every I'm a big single fan person does that, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Persa Lauda plant pot as well, or the Fitch Joe coffee table. That's also I love there. that you dude, know, you know what? I actually This is unreal. Dude, because I keep a Pinterest of it. No. Do, do you know what I like to do on a Sunday? I like oh, to God. go to Ikea what? just for a walk around. Just for a walk around? <laughs> I mean, I always buy like a random thing I definitely didn't need, but... For sure. Yeah. yeah. And, on, and honestly, Ikea is like a cult, dude. you got to invest in it. <laughs> So glad we had this chat. We've had oh too many God. chats about IKEA, and I'm sure we're going to have too many more in the future. I didn't naturally bring them up straight away anyway. It's just beyond me. I feel like I failed this podcast. <laughs> I baited you too, and then, ah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, go on. Next question. Yes. IKEA aside. Ikea, IKEA aside, all the cool kids are doing it these days. If you could see one band do a reunion show, who would it be and why? I've seen all the, my favorite bands do reunion shows. Point blank, that's it, done. Mic drop. If I can okay. bring someone back from the dead, I would like to see David Bowie. <laughs> okay. But I don't know if that's an option. It's an option. You can be as imaginative okay. as you possibly want to. Okay. And, and I'd also like to have seen The Clash. Right. That so, those two. Sense. But I, th I think right now, I don't know. Like, I have such mixed feelings about reunions. I don't know. I mean, like, Have Heart was amazing. Bane. I'd love to see a Bane reunion, but I feel like that'd be kind of like, it'd be hard to do that without Stu, the guitarist RIP that like passed. Like, I feel like it'd just be like opening a wound for a lot of people. And I don't know, like this, I mean, weirdly enough, I actually ran into Zach from Bane uh, at 2000 Trees Festival because he's there, he was TMing, stick to your guns. And we were talking about like outbreak festivals, 10,000 kids next year, right? So we were like, surely like a Bane reunion would maybe work for that. But at, at the same time, it's like, I feel like good things know when to come to an end. Um, it was definitely a, a feeling I had watching, you know, being stood there on that stage, watching the final gold show. 
you you knew yeah. that it was the right time for that to end you know what i mean yeah, I also have mixed feelings about reunions. So I find it to be an interesting question. Some people are immediately like this band and they know it. And then other times they're like, yeah, but would that work? Or they don't like the idea of reunions. So it's always an yeah, interesting I've answer. I've seen some reunions as well where it was like they were so solid before and then they come back and it kind of like right. your previous experience of them. Right. So you've seen plenty. I mean, you've been around this game long enough. Um, it's definitely safe to say you have your seen your citizenship. All <laughs> shitty puns. You know, and I've written that question. Do you know, I went and did. I went and ordered a new face cream. So thanks for that one, Rob. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you should never talk about a per- like a, a woman or a person's age. Jeez. I'm talking about how long you've been in the game for, though. No, I I'm just wondering. <laughs> I'm wondering what are some of the the good and bad changes you've seen within the punk rock community since you got into it till now. Do you know what? Okay, the first show I ever photographed, I was the only. Uh, at the time, I was female women presenting. Uh, so I was the only woman in the photo pit at the time. I was basically, okay, basically I was the only one that wasn't a straight white old dude that was in the photo pit. So like going to Sound and Fury, going to Outbreak and seeing like Nat, Nat Word and Josie Hoffman and Abby Shipperley and all these great female photographers, you know, America, Kat Nijmeda and Becca Leder, all of them on the stage and being like key holders of like the scene. That to me has been amazing. And and also how quickly bands are growing now. You know, I mean, look how quick Scal got where they are. And, and it's not to like deplete them and say they didn't do any work prior, but like, I think this new age, you can get big on the internet and it translate into real life. Like what's happening with speed it is incredible. And I think, yeah. And, and also I think like as well, like a lot of, um, you know, like that outdoor mad ball show that happened at Tompkins Square Park. There was a lot of younger people in this scene that were speaking out against that and about, how that shouldn't have happened but the thing that sucked to see was some of these like 40 plus year old dudes in the scene like using derogative language um especially homophobic slurs when like talking to the younger kids but seeing older people also standing up you know i actually spoke to walter schreifels of all people about this um and you know him and i spoke about this it's like how the people that are like the good ones in like from like that older generation, like my, my you know my dad's generation of hardcore, like they're they're standing up and and even if sometimes things are said because you know they go oh it's a different time but that you see how quickly they're correcting themselves and and being I don't say like woke but being you know way more progressive and I think that our scene is being for progressive and, and just really cool things as well like at Sound and Fury I met um that sick new band ankle buyer like i met their manager and it was like just a super young girl and like i was just like that fucking so cool to see and you know that she had this confidence to go up and was talking to people or like jessa that's running damage control and hold your fest crown in toronto I-, I think seeing a presence that isn't heavily white male dominated the bad thing i'm still seeing bands that are known abusers getting onto bills and tours uh, I won't speak on names because it's just exhausting to even mentally go into it. But seeing some of that still is, I, I had a big conversation with an old friend about this the other day, but I, but I also have seen said bands being dropped from festivals and stuff. So it, it is really kind of a catch 22. There is some things I still don't really like, but I, it's at least like any industry. Look at the film industry. I mean, it had Harvey Weinstein going on. Oh, exactly. Right? And then it had its yeah. own Me Too movement. You know, I, I truly do wonder when, the music industry will have its me too moment, but yeah, I don't, I don't really want to go down that rabbit hole. That's cool. No, absolutely not. No, no. I completely understand. There's a lot of good changes happening and there's some stuff that we're still working on, right? It's not a perfect world. Absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, though, you know, being in the game for so long, I had to I had to ask silly question, but I do call the show not just a phase. Did you have any sort of cheesy MySpace name back in that era? No. And do you know what? My parents wouldn't really? let me get a stupid emo haircut. So I have no embarrassing pictures. Come on. And like, but no, no, honestly. And oh, so like depressing. back then. Yeah. yeah, my parents wouldn't let me have MySpace because they were so, like, scared <laughs> of, like... I guess my, th- there was two sides to it, right? I guess my mom was scared of, like, you know, hearing about, like, young women groomed on the internet and shit. So, like, I wasn't allowed Fair. to have a MySpace. And okay. then on the flip, you had my dad who was, like, involved in punk and hardcore and going to shows at a very real level that he just didn't believe that it should be this online thing. And obviously there's, like, pros and cons, and he uses, like, Facebook and, and Instagram and stuff now. But, like... Yeah, like I, I, and then when emo came about, and I was listening to Taking Back Sunday and squeezing into like AFI t-shirts and jeans that were definitely one size too small. Yes. Yeah, like my my I I wasn't allowed to get like one of those emo haircuts or an emo fringe or anything like this. Like my parent, I think my dad was actually more willing to let me get a tattoo that I would regret later in life than an emo haircut. So shout out <laughs> Matt Rawson and Michelle Rawson for saving me for future embarrassment. <laughs> so there's there's no hidden scene era pictures oh, of you. Dude, I, I challenge anyone to try and find a scene photo of me. Oh, I challenge man. them. <laughs> disappointed. Glad I asked, but disappointed by the result. Dude, the only difference you'll see is you'll see me with like hair versus having a shaved head. <laughs> that's 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 the one that's like i reckon i could show someone a picture of me looking slightly seen and they would they wouldn't give a fuck that i was seen they're like oh my god it's you with hair like i feel like that's gonna <laughs> that's the shock one. reaction yeah <laughs> defo defo well i i know so some people don't love this question but what music do you listen to that like could be considered a guilty pleasure to yourself or others okay i don't believe in guilty pleasures because this guy is the tits uh Right. So, story time. I was on a plane uh, to come back from Poland to photograph Pain of Truth for the cover, right? Triple B, solid hardcore. Do you know why I missed my my original flight? Because Robbie Williams tickets went on sale and I had to make the choice between going to the check-in desk on time and buying the Robbie Williams tickets. I am seeing that man in October. Um Okay, is he Dude, a pop I, star? Sorry to cut you off. Is he a pop star or something? Because I have no yeah, idea. Who yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. British pop star, rock DJ. Oh, okay. Let me entertain you. Okay, sure. It was like the bad boy from Take That that left and became. Dude, the guy's an sure. icon. He's like the no and Liam Gallagher's of Oasis of that. And like, yeah, I mean, like I went and saw like Liam Gallagher, and you know, <laughs> in a in December I see Comeback Kid at the Electric Ballroom, and then twenty four hours later I'm seeing ABBA. <laughs> so, you know, it's. And, you know, and I, but I wear that with pride. Like, Best of both worlds. I, yeah, dude. I think ninety percent of my actual friends in in the punk and hardcore world, like ninety percent of our our engagement is probably, dude. If I'm in the van, you we're putting on like the mega. We're putting on the Britney Spears mega mix. When I get the orbs, nice. it's the Britney Spears mega mix. It's ABBA. It's like, dude. We thought we dropped everyone from Comeback Kid off at the airport last summer. And me and uh, my friend Don that was driving them were like driving along, like blasting like Abba and singing along at the top of our voice. Yeah, we didn't realize that Jeremy was still in the van. To this day, a conversation has not been had about it, but I'm also going to totally own it if it ever comes up. More of a Backstreet Boys guy myself, but okay, fair enough, fair enough. (laughs) Backstreet Boys kind of was like, they had their time in the UK, but not like... Okay, you're more into Spice Girls then, I guess? Oh god, yeah. Yeah, spice, okay. Spice, spice for life, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I have Spice World on VHS still. I'm not gonna deny that. It's a great movie. Dude, this this was crazy. Someone who was a manager of quite a big punk band started managing them, and 
knowing that through punk music I got to go on the Spice Girls bus. It that 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 was a career defining moment. <laughs> you got on their bus? Yeah, I got to go on the like the like the bus from the movie. No. Oh, dude, it was so much cooler than. Oh, I'm movie. so jealous. Dude, is it as cool that... as it looks like it is in the movie? Like it's just that it is that cool, right? Oh yeah, it's 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 oh just more than you expect it to be. Like it's it's the tiny minuscule minuscule details in it as well. You know what I mean? It's just little cool little details that are put into it. You're like, fuck, that's so clever. Man, I'm so glad I asked. Now, all right, <laughs> all right. What do you think you listened to the most of um, for like an album of the year last year? Not like it was the album of the year, but what do you think you listened to more than the other albums? I guess. You know, I I, I try to prepare for this question. And I really yeah. didn't. Um, do you know what you sp- you spun the most of or overplayed the most of? Yes, actually. Do you know what? Um, yeah. I'm probably losing all of my punk and hardcore uh, points. <laughs> Nice. Uh, it was the soundtrack for The Secret Life of Walter Mitty uh, by Jose Gonzalez and John Shapiro. That was actually on my Spotify. That came out as my most played. Um, yeah, and it was, sorry, Theodore, Theodore Shapiro, the composer. I still listen to it on a daily basis. It's probably the most nostalgic. Like, I, I did a lot of traveling last year that was like, you know, visiting places in between like touring mode and like festival mode and like, you know, being in El Salvador and you're stood outside queuing to get into the airport and the sun's coming up and there's wild birds flying over your head and then just having that little piece of music in the background or like, you know, you're in Costa Rica and you're, uh, that's probably one of the most dangerous things, just wading r- through rivers and you're assuming it's a trained tour guide because the guy has a machete and you can't hope he is your tour guide. Um, And you just, yeah, like that music like really takes me back to that. And it's just, you know, it's weird when I want I have my moments of listening to punk and hardcore because obviously it's like it's like my job and like I love it for that. But yeah, I mean, I, it, it was weird. I re- revisited a lot of like older music last year, a lot of like Cypress Hill, a lot of like early rancid records, and but yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even think to, uh, you know, I always get confused as to what came out last year and what came out this year, right? Because it's just oh, I mean, God, yeah. we're so far into this year already. So a strange question I love asking uh, near the end when we're wrapping up. If you could give the entire world a gift, what would it be and why? And keep in mind, it does not have to be a material possession. You know, I was thinking about this a lot lately with the mic turning 10, right? Um, I'm trying to get word. Like my mom had this saying, which was like, what you give to the world is what it keeps of you. And I don't, I don't know. It could be the fact that you like open a door for someone. And you don't expect them to say thanks, knowing that later on in life that comes back to you. You know, like as Princess Diana said, or Lady Di, as we call her in the UK, it's like it's about putting kindness out into the world and not necessarily expecting it in return. Like, I think that's a great gift. And, you know, I mean, for me, I feel like that gift is already present. I mean, you're watching Drain headlines sound in fury and just knowing that, like, you know, like last Gulch set or seeing what comeback is doing or you know a space coming to europe just knowing that you're even like a little foot footnote in those band stories it, every day um you know i wake up and i truly am humbled by this and humbled that this is my journey on this planet and like you know whether it ends tomorrow you never know what happens in life whether it ends in 50 years from now you, you never know but like just yeah being like I, i'm really proud of where we've been able to carry other people we've discovered and you know it even goes down to like our editorial team some people have left working for me and gone to work for some of the biggest music companies in the world and you know that's just 
I, I think that that really is the, I feel discovered is the gift, you know, and in, whether it's a kid that wasn't able to afford the postage on the new, I don't know, Gorilla Biscuits figurine that came out. And by us doing the distro, they were able to physically have a copy, you know I mean? And, and they have that cool feeling of when they open that packaging and see that figurine for the first time. Like that for me, like instilling that good feeling in people is, is probably the gift that I, I would love to continue giving, you know? So as you said, you don't know if it's ending tomorrow, 10 years, 50 years from now, but I'm oh, guessing- I don't mean the magazine. Dude, I could I could walk outside this house and get struck by lightning, you know? You, you never know where, what, what lot's going to genuinely happen in life. Right. And that's my point. But with that, with that being said, do you know what the next big goal or accomplishment you want to reach with this brand is? So uh, I can talk about this a little bit more publicly now. Um, we are in the midst of filming a documentary about the current age of punk and hardcore and its ripple effect to wider pop culture and subculture. It's myself and it's an absolutely incredible man called Trevor Cushing, who's involved with like Jackass, King of the Road. You know, like he really comes from like a cool ass world of documentary filmmaking. So for me, I mean, it it looks like it might even take like two years because bear in mind like how long editing takes. But, you know, we've already had some cool names involved like Chai Hartman and, you know, Pat Flynn and some, some bigger names as well in the skateboarding world and the rap world coming into it. I think that to me is where the next goal is. But for me as well, like, I, I would love to see national distribution in the US. So what we have in the UK is that we have a free copy. Not many people know this, but there's a free copy of the magazine that now goes out into like shops and you can pick it up in record stores and stuff. Um, and it's just because I, I want to make this go and accessible for people where the cost of living goes up. It can just, they can go in and pick it up and like, you know, have something to escape with. So we have that. Um, and I'm trying to achieve that in the US. But again, you, ne you never know what could happen tomorrow. Someone could come and sign us to a big publishing house. I could get told that the world can no longer print magazines. You just, you got to have a business goal and you got to have goals. But I, th I think that cliche of like every business has got to have like a business plan and a goal and stuff like this. Like, yeah, you got to plan so you don't fail. But also I think you need to, you, you also sometimes have to accept that things are the way they are and you can, all you can do is ride with it. And that's why I said in the, the, the magazine or well, the brand itself has said so many times more, so much more than just a magazine, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, I was expanding into vinyl because friends were not able to afford a triple B variant, you know what I mean? So making it accessible to people. Like, if, if I can make music fans' lives easier and I can help more bands, I'll always try and find a way. As long as that need is there, Discovered will continue to exist. Absolutely insane answer. I'm going to edit out my response to that, but really good answer. <laughs> oh my god! Do you know? I thought it sounded really cheesy. <laughs> no, no, it was, no. It sounded really prolific. Actually, I, could I was listening smell to the fromage. It's no, right. it smelled. It smelled prolific. If that's a fucking thing. I, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll hold you to that one. But yeah, look, Rod. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And like, you know, I appreciate what you do for new bands. I've discovered so many fucking cool new bands for you. And like. I love the Canadian scene as well. I think it's special. I think it deserves a platform. I think Rust, I, you know, Eyes Front, Cohesion, all of these bands deserve a platform. And I know that like it often gets um it often uh gets overseen by, you know, a lot a lot of stuff to do with um, you know, because North America is so nearby. But yeah, I I, I think that that world deserves to have uh you know like i think the canadian scene deserves to have more people like you pushing and promoting it you know so I, 
big appreciation for what you do, Rob. Oh, and I'm absolutely, obviously, a fan of your work and you stepping into my backyard. I mean, I mean, you've always been riding with Comeback Kid there since day one. Uh, you got vinyl out for counterparts now, and the recent collaboration and support for Rust is literally right in my backyard, and I'm all for it. Yeah, exactly. So, like, that's it. I think we are an exciting time where, to put it bluntly, hardcore is a worldwide phenomena, baby. It's a worldwide community. You know, you belong to the world of hardcore now. You don't belong to, like, one set town scene. I mean, I mean, you do if you're actively involved in it, but, yeah, like, that's, that's where I think we're that's where I think the future of it's heading. And I am so excited by that. You know, I'm so excited that I can go and land in a country as obscure as Cyprus and know that somebody's into hardcore, you know? Yeah. When you said South Africa earlier had a scene, I, I, I mentally scratched my head. It's like the fuck. So, so for an outro track, uh, before we get you to your last shout outs, plugs, causes, all that good stuff. What's the last song you want to play here? What did you choose and why? So I'm choosing Latinos by Raw Brigade. Um, amazing band, like, as I was saying at some other point, um, you know, Carlos is doing this amazing thing where he's bringing, like, the world of uh, Colombian hardcore and just Colombian culture and music and stuff. You know, he's bringing it to the forefront of uh, the rest of the world. And then he's also, you know, like that seeing how... Do you, that was the band I was most stoked to watch at Sound and Fury. And they just have this really humbling energy about them that's also just wonderfully chaotic and yeah like they're doing so much cool shit like if you talk to most bands they've been bought to Columbia by Royal Brigade and and honestly I, I think that they're going to be I think they're going to be big for the for the in the sense that they're going to become a real pillar of this community that you and I are a part of awesome and any last uh shout outs any plugs any causes you want to speak on literally anything at all the mic's yours the floor's yours and then we're going to play that Rob Brigade track Okay, so I guess this is me doing a mic grab. Um, <laughs> as you and I were saying, Hold Your Ground Fest is coming up. Um, everyone should be getting on that first week of September. Jessa and her team as independent promoters, bringing more attention to the Ontario music scene, bringing people to Canada. People should be getting behind that. Um, it's the same with uh, Carlos Festival uh, in Bogota in Colombia, the 100 Festival. People should be getting behind that. I know that people probably think Colombia is like a wild country to go visit and stuff like this. It's like, actually, it's not as hectic as everyone makes it out to be. And, you know, I think people should be making an effort to, to, to if they can, obviously, and if they have this wonderful privilege where they are able to travel. But yeah, being able to go and, and, and do stuff like that, I think is going to be really incredible. Um, And yeah, like, you know, shout out everyone that, put on Sound and Fury recently. Shout out the guys like Ollie Horner, who's making Outbreak Festival possible. And everyone that's like keeping this wonderful community that we have as continuing to expand into a mainstream area. People that, you know, like Sam Veldy and everyone else and the Ricky Sings of Flatspot Records, shout out to all of them because they're keeping it real and they're keeping it like integral and let's finally show the world and in the world stage what we're all about. Thank you again so much for coming to chat today. It has been an absolute pleasure. It's been my pleasure as well. And like I said, uh, it goes both ways. I appreciate what you're doing for music as well. Awesome. Well, I hope we can do this again sometime in the future, and I'm sure I'll be chatting with you soon. Yeah, we need to tag team on asking another band if they're at a wedding, what song makes them get up. <laughs> Please, let's do that ASAP. Come Shout back to co-host anytime. I'm anxious that was definitely not expecting to hear that. <laughs>
It's a great question. Honestly, dude, that's what I want to know about people's favorite bands. Okay, cool. You might get on stage and scream Wake the Dead, but if you're at a wedding, buddy, come on. What song's getting you on the dance floor? What song's getting you on the dance floor? Dude, do you know what my dream is? It's in between bands. I was telling Aaron from there that I really want to do this because we always joke that he's going to catch me in the crowd when I stage dive. I want someone to play Time of Your Life, like in Dirty Dancing, and I run to stage dive and somebody catches me in that pose. That is that is what I want to see happening at show. I want to see dirty dancing become a thing at shows. Moshing's <laughs> out, crowd killing's definitely not in. It's all about dirty dancing. Dirty dancing coming to a show near you. <laughs> Thanks again, really Georges, so. so much. Ooh, oh, on a side note, I start a band, whether we ever release or do anything. Let's see what happens with that one. I'll, I'll leave that one as a bit of a tease. You started a band. Oh god, yeah, I started a band. <laughs> Ooh, interesting. Can yeah, you I went and watched Military Gun Outbreak, and I was like, yeah, I just I just really want to play in Military Gun, but alas, they have Daisy's guitar stepping in for them, and I'm not that good at guitar, so right. I'll, I'm taking my chances as a vocalist. So let's, whether, whether we ever play a single show, it's just me and a couple of friends in the California scene. Whether, whether we ever do anything, let's, let's see what happens. <laughs> what an exciting note to end on. Exactly. I'll leave you with that one, Rob. Cheers again. Cheers, Georgia. Thanks again. Bye. Bye. Bye.